so let me, let me tell you a little about this morning. Um, I am going to purposely try to dial it down. This message is so important and so practical. There's something about the more forcefully I say it, the more defensive, it, it's just hard to receive. When somebody wants you to get something too much, so I'm going to try to dial back. And then on your part, if you want mind, try to, whatever is bothering you about me, try to not be bothered and just try, try to hear what God might be saying. Is that fair? I'll try to dial it back and then you try to get past me and try to hear because I, I just feel like God has something for us today that is so important. So could we, we stand together in honor of God's word? We are in a series called uh, I Am the Bread of Life. This is the second. Actually, it's called I Am, and this is whatever. We're, we're in a series. All right. Uh, John 6, Jesus speaking. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you please hide me behind the cross today? Lord, you have something burning on your heart. I just ask that you would come and deliver it. And Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear, every single one of us, what you are speaking to us. Lord, speak to us as a congregation the word that you want to give. We'll give you the credit and the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So in part one, I am the bread of life. We talked about the life of God. The word life used here is zoe. It is the, it, it's, the, it's the life God has in himself. It is eternal life. It is experiencing life as God experiences it. That Jesus came into the world to give us zoe. He came in not to, and we talked about this last time, not to improve your life but to become your life. 
He did not come so that you would take your house that you've already built and add a room to it, the Jesus room. He came to tear that life down and to build a new house with a new foundation that's got his life in the foundation, the Zoe of Lot, the Zoe life of God. That Christianity is relearning how to live. It's learning how to live out of the engine of God's eternal life rather than just human life. That's how radical this thing is. So today, part two of I am the bread of life, point one, the culture, he wants a, the, a culture of life, it's called. God wants the life in us, his, his Zoe life, his eternal life in us, to overflow into the world. This is the plan. Look at John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the word there used is zoe. It's the life of God. Different than the word for human life. The life of God was in him, and that life was the light of all mankind. The life of God in Jesus was the light. When he said, I am the light of the world, it was referencing that the Zoe life of God, the eternal life of God that he lives by, was the light to the world. Then he says in John 10, 10, I came that you might have Zoe, that you might have the life of God in you, and that you would have it abundantly, or in an overflowing way. God's plan was not just that his life would be in us so that we'd go to heaven when we die, but that that very life in us would be, would be bubbling out, would be overflowing wherever we went. This is why in Acts chapter 1, they were asking about where he was going, and Jesus said, listen, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The, the word baptism means to immerse, to overflow you with the Holy Spirit. He says, and you are going to, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses. Witnessing is not, in God's mind, it's not something you do as much as it's something you are. You are my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to fill you and overfill you, and everywhere you go, life is going to be imparted. Life, it, the life of God, the life of heaven is going to be seen. People are going to see it. You just show up, and life will be seen. A culture of life. The life of God has a culture just like fish. So I've been reading about fishing this week and fish. And did you know there are species of fish that if, if, they're, if they're not too damaged in how you catch them, they can live outside of water for several weeks? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? You could, you, could, you could picture what that life would be like, okay? There is the fish sitting right there, and it's, it's laying there. It's out of water, and it, it's alive, but how many know it's miserable? It can't go anywhere. It can't really do it. It's not in its right culture. Now picture that fish. It's laying there for three weeks, still alive, and then somebody kicks it back in the water. And oh my, I, I'm alive. I can feel it. This is amazing. This is amazing. And then they're in that water for a day, and then somebody takes it back out for three weeks. 
you, you, you think to yourself, I can't think of a more miserable life than that life. Okay? Mm. Oftentimes, this is how Christians are. We are alive. We do love Jesus. We have been born again. But most of our life is up, it's out of the culture that supports that life. And then on Sunday, we get kicked back into the water. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, I love Jesus. That's right. Oh, this is who I am. Oh, yeah, I'm loved by God. Oh, yeah, God is good. Oh, yeah, all those things. And then we live in that culture, usually maybe till Sunday afternoon. Sometimes we lose it at lunch. We just get kicked back out, and the world lives in a very, very different culture of thinking and how they look at things, and, and it's just, it's so easy to get out there. And then we're, we're just barely alive. We're alive, and we are the children of God, and we are born again, and we do have God's Spirit in us, but we, if you don't live in the right culture, you're never going to overflow. You're never going to be that witness. Marcio talked about this last week in a little different form. He, he talked about, um, it was such a great message, he talked about living in the wilderness and you could become just used to the wilderness and you're thankful there are blessings in the wilderness and you are alive in the wilderness. But God's purpose was for them to go into the promised land. And it's the promised land that flows with milk and honey. It's the promised land where you hit flow. Now, the whole picture of the promised land, Egypt and the promised land, it, it all happened, it all happened in history. But it was a picture, it was a foreshadowing of the promised life. That we are to come into the promised life, even as Joshua, which is the old, the Hebrew name for Jesus, it just means Savior. As Joshua took them into the promised land, Jesus wants to take us into the promised life, a place where it flows and overflows, where life is so much our culture that it overflows wherever we go. This is the plan of God. So let's look at what that culture of life is. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did you notice this? It doesn't say on every word that came from the mouth of God. It, it, it's always present. It's always, why? He's the I am. He's not the I was. He's the I am. It's what you are hearing right now. This is the culture. Uh, another translation says, on every word, that we're supposed to live on every word, and the, and the, the, the word, word is rhema. It's the spoken word of God that proceeds, that proceeds from, it is active, it is now, it is the I am, it is the culture of what we're hearing now. We are to be living in the present word of God. We're to have the word of God in our ears, in our hearts. It is to be our life. This is the culture of life. This is what God is speaking. Ezra 5, 1 and 2. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Idu, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Here's what happened. 
They had begun building the temple, and then stuff happened, voices happened, and it got shut down. And so they just stopped building. Then the prophets started speaking the word of God. They started speaking that rhema of God, what God was speaking. And in the atmosphere of the word of God being spoken, they, were, they started building again. This is, this is how we build. This is how the kingdom of God is built. The, in, in our time, the Bible says that God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on men and women, sons and daughters, and they are going to prophesy. They're going to speak the right now word of God. And in that culture of the present word of God, we are, we are free to build. We're free to build with God, build the church, build what God is doing. When we're outside of that culture, the building stops. And we're, and we're, on, the, we're, on, this, we're on this thing flopping around. The culture is the word of God. That's point one. Here's point two. Words activate the culture through which we live. It's not just what we hear. It's as we hear the word of God, it's agreeing with it enough that we actually speak the word of God. Now, I had a sermon that was going to be about two hours long because I was so excited about this. And so what I do, I do a, a weekly devotional. You can actually sign up for it. It's going out today. And instead of me just preaching this, which would take really, really long, I'm just going to read what I wrote in this devotion. It's going to save us a lot of time, and it's efficient. All right, here we go. So here's the scripture. I always have a scripture at the beginning of my devotion. It's Mark 11, 22 and 23. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Okay, now here's the devotional about it. When God speaks, everything changes. There may be darkness and chaos, but when God speaks, light and order come in response to his word, transforming the world. Parentheses, see Genesis 1. But what happens when we speak? I don't believe there is intrinsic power in our words. But I do believe that our words can be filled with power if we speak out loud what God has spoken to our hearts. Speaking expresses faith. Romans 10.10 says, we believe with our hearts and then speak with our mouths, resulting in salvation. When we, what we believe about God and the world will affect what we speak, and what we speak will then affect the world around us. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So what is God speaking to this world? May our hearts be filled with the truth of John 3:17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is what's over the world right now. 
The, the verse before it, of course, is the golden text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. That's not what God's doing. The world stands condemned in sin already. He came in that the world might be saved through him. God's heart for the world is redemption. We are not called to be positive in a negative world. We are called to be redemptive in a fallen world. We don't ever have to live in a bubble that denies the brokenness and darkness all around us. We only have to believe that God has a redemptive plan for everything and everyone who is broken and dark. Moses allowed himself to become frustrated and hit the rock when God told him to speak to it. The rock, which represented Christ, parentheses, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, had already been struck, parentheses, a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. So God wanted Moses to have enough faith to just speak. If he had spoken to the rock, it would have flowed with water for all the people, for God was the one telling him to speak. Today, he's telling us to speak. His redemption over our own lives, the lives of our loved ones, and over this nation. What are you speaking? Have a great week, Pastor Tom. Okay. So let's go back to Proverbs 18. Verse 21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Well, the verse before that, verse 20, says, whoever uses their mouth is going to eat the fruit of it. That whatever you are planting with your mouth, you're, you're going to have to reap that harvest. More disturbing than that is James 3. It says the tongue is set on fire by hell. The enemy wants to use your wounds, your pains, your self-pity, your weariness. He wants now, in that vulnerable state, he wants you to speak out of that. The Bible says whatever the heart is filled with, it, it will overflow in words. The enemy tries to set our, our hearts on fire and then speak it out so that death is sown in this world. Now here's the worst case scenario. Proverbs 19, verse 3. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Worst case scenario, in your wound, in your hurt, in your self-pity, in your weariness, you start, hell itself gets you to speak in it, and you start speaking that over your life, over your loved ones, over your, and, and you end up getting what you have spoken. The death you spoke comes to pass, and you don't make a connection, and so your heart is raging against God. And it's, it's God's fault that all of this happened and you can't see, it's, you're blind to it, that no, 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 you, you, you're harvesting what you spoke. That you're getting what you spoke. That's the worst case scenario. Hell has a plan for this world and for your life just like heaven does. 
Do you want to know the other part of John 10.10? 10? Okay, I gave you the, the second part. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you know what the first part of that is? The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. Folks, we're in a war. We are in a war. Let's get to point three. Last point. Isn't this going fast? Point three, living in a culture of life. Point one, eat every day from God's table. So, in this text, the people of God ask about Moses gave us manna, or rather, God gave us manna as an endorsement of Moses. It was the sign that Moses was God's spokesman. And, and here's what Jesus says. Yeah, that all happened, but the true manna, I'm bringing. I'm bringing the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The manna itself is a picture of the true bread that was coming out of heaven. Now, I want you to think with me about the manna. Because the manna is the picture, it's just the perfect picture of relationship. Here's how the manna worked. Everybody had to go out and get their own manna every day. You had to go out and get it, and you couldn't store it up. You couldn't go get manna for a week. It spoiled after one day. So you had, to, you had to keep going out there. This is a picture of relationship, folks. This is a picture that it's not a one-timer. It is an ongoing relationship. We ha it's not what we heard. It's what we're hearing. We got to eat every day. We have to be in his presence every day. So listen to Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So this is the picture of our lives. God has a table. But it's in the presence of your enemies. The, the, the food we need to eat, the, the, the preceding word of God that we need to eat is being served in the very presence of our enemies. And so we, and our enemies are speaking as well. The, the devil goes about as a roaring lion. He's speaking all the time. He's trying to get us to, to bite. But God is speaking and he set a table in the presence of our enemies. Now in, in the context when Jesus said, man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, do you know what the context is? It's in the presence of our enemies. The devil is speaking to him. You read Matthew 4, 4, it's Satan is speaking, and Jesus says, no, I'm not listening to that. I'm eating what God is saying. I'm hearing what God is saying. I'm going to stay with what God is saying. And that's the test he passes. And then it says, he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. He came out in the power of the Spirit to become a thermostat of the kingdom of God. Here's why overflow is so important. God is calling you and I to be thermostats. Oftentimes, we are thermometers. 
we, we go out into the world and the anger of the world, the offense of the world, the weariness of the world, the gossip of the world, we just become that. Because the world's a dark place. And then we take up that confession. The world's this horrible place, dark place. Madison is so hard. I hate going to work. Everything's bad because we become thermometers of the world around us. And God says, I've got another plan for you. Here's the plan. You come every day into my presence. You eat at my table. You drink of my cup. When it says that, that he anoints my head with oil, anointing is the Holy Spirit. My cup overflows. This is a picture of us drinking of the Holy Spirit until we are overflowing. The, his plan, folks, his plan is abundance, overflow, rivers flowing of our innermost being so that when we go out and we're in the coffee room, and there is death all around us. And people are gossiping, they're hating, they're angry, there's prejudice, there's dirty jokes. Instead of us being filled with judgment, let's just unpack that a little. Why should our hearts be full of judgment? Apart from the grace of God, that's what we would be doing. We'd be doing the same thing. We used to do the same thing. Don't get on your high horse. I can't believe they're talking that way. That's how the world talks. Their lips are on fire from hell. They, they're, just, they're just blind. That's all. God's plan was this. That we, we've eaten of the culture of life. We are eating of the culture of life. We're drinking of the Holy Spirit. So we're a thermostat. A thermostat doesn't care what the current temperature is. It's just setting its temperature, and, and the, cult, the, the, the whole room starts changing to become what the thermostat is set to. Life! Life! Redemption! He has set us as redemption in this world so that the culture of heaven can overflow just by us being in the room. That heaven is open, and we are thermostats going out, just not trying to nail people or try to get in an argument so we can put a word in about Jesus. You don't have to have a bumper sticker on your car to make sure everybody knows you're Jesus. Just get filled. Eat at the table in the presence of your enemies. Drink from his cup until you're overflowing. And now go to work. Now, I get it. I get it. It's a war out there. Christians leak. We just leak. We, we, we're getting drained all the time. People are drained. So how much more do we have to be filled? We just have to be filled with his presence. Now, I want you to see something in Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So his mercy is not a one-timer. It's every single morning. It's just like the manna. Have you gone and picked up your mercy today? Have you gone and engaged God's heart and grabbed a hold of his heart of mercy for you and for the people around you? Did you grab that today? I got a beautiful, beautiful picture a couple weeks ago of the love of God. We were out with a couple, and, and the, the, the male is a grandpa, and he's got a video of his granddaughter. And him and his son, who's the, the girl's dad, 
are having swimming lessons with this little girl. He wants me to see the video. And, and I'm happy to see the, a video. I don't want to see a hundred videos, but I can, I can watch one. I've tried to teach Alice this principle. Other people's grandchildren, your grandchildren are not as cute to other people as your own are to you. And that just because you think they're amazing does not mean everybody thinks they're amazing. And so, you know, try to, try to learn. And Alice will not believe that. She's just like, no, these are the cutest kids. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I'm happy, I'm happy to watch the video. So, so we're at dinner, and, and, and I need to see the video. And, he, and, and, and the grandpa is so excited. Him and dad have got the, the girl's one years old. She's getting swimming lessons at one. And here's what it looks like. Dad and grandpa are on both sides of this kid. This adored, treasured one. And they're, they're taking her across the pool. And I notice in the picture that grandpa starts splashing the water. And, and he shows me the video. He said, did you see that? I'm like, what? I can't believe you didn't see it. When I started splashing, she started splashing too. She, she's competitive. She wants to win. She wants to win. And I'm like, you know what? Let me see it again. Let, let, me, let me see it again to, to see if that happened. And I watched the video again. And you know what? When grandpa starts splashing, she, she might have hit the water a couple times. And I'm like, wonderful, amazing. <laughs> Prodigy. Okay, when I, when I left that conversation, I got a whole new picture. Oh, my. Guys, this is how God feels about us. This is, this is what's in God's heart for us. We are his delight. He is so excited about some of us. We emotionally, we just we haven't caught on to God's emotions. And so we, we think he thinks the way people do. Listen, his heart and his emotions are so filled for you. This girl, this little one-year-old girl, how many know that she's causing trouble all day long? She poops, she pees, she needs to be fed, she needs to be protected, she's vulnerable all the time. She is causing a lot of trouble. But you look in dad and grandpa's eyes and all you see is pure, pure delight. But I'll tell you what, when she made a response, it sent grandpa through the roof. It's like, look at this, she's responding. Guys, when you and I, the fact that you're at church today, do you know what God feels like? He's like, that's my daughter, that's my son. When we say no to sin, when we do the right thing, when we could have held on to bitterness, when we choose to sing a song, when we choose, we're in our car, and instead of just putting on music that will reinforce our bad mood, we put on worship or something. God's like, look at them. They're, 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 they're making an effort. They're making a response to me. And he's just so excited about us. Now the reason why this is so critical for you to believe God's emotions for you, that God, God, is, God is excited about you, is how you feel about God and, and how you see him loving you 
is an engine. Listen, listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 14. This was our one-year Bible reading day. If you read the one-year Bible with us, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Here's what it says. The love for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Now, I cheated a little. Somebody in the congregation got me a commentary on the one-year Bible. So every day, it's got comments about the readings that day. Here were the comments today. When Paul says Christ's love compels us, he is not talking about his love for Jesus is like the driving force. It's about Jesus' love for him. He, Jesus loves us so much. Paul is just caught up in this love and that he loves me that much. It's like this engine. It just, and then he says in verse 16, listen to what he says. So from now on, because of Christ's love for us, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. When you believe God loves you and God delights in you, at some point, it occurs to you that maybe God feels like that about other people too. <laughs> Even though you're, they're not your children or your grandchildren, it occurs to you, they're his. And so he actually feels that way about everybody, not just me. And, and so we stop looking at them the way the world looks at them. We see them as valued. We see them as loved. We see them as the object of God's affection. And then Paul goes on and he says, it changes how we see Christians and then how we see unbelievers. Here's what he says in verse 17 about Christians. I said I was going to dial down. I feel like I'm not, I, I'm betraying that. I'm, I'm too excited. I'm going to dial down. Bring it back, Tom. <clears throat> Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So Paul, Paul has trained himself to look at Christians redemptively. Even though it may look like the old life is what's controlling them, Paul is looking at the new life, and he's speaking prophetically to Christians. Yet, you know, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Yeah, but that doesn't have a hold of you. You're new. You're new. God's making you new. God, God's got you. Yes, I know it feels strong, but, but Jesus died for that. You can actually live dead to that. It is, your past is not holding you. Your sins are not holding you. Your shame is not holding you. It can't. You are new. And in that atmosphere where we are speaking to the new man, we're just speaking. We're speaking redemption. We're speaking life over each other. What happens? Life comes. Life, life comes. Here's what he says over unbelievers. Verses uh, 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So when God looks at the world, he sees that their sin has been paid for and that all they need to do is get this message of reconciliation and they can come back to him. And he's given us that message. 
So here's what happens. When we go dark, when we get offended, when we get frustrated, we get angry because of this world and the injustice and, the, and, and, and we get mad and we're mad at the world and we choose to live in that frustration and we take out that frustration on our loved ones, on our work associates, on our spouses, on our children and we just allow that engine of frustration to, to go out. We're, we're not speaking from God anymore. This is why Moses didn't go into the promised land. Because Jesus had died. He hit the rock the first time and the water came out and the Bible says that that rock was Christ and and it it stood for Jesus dying. And the second time God said, Moses, just speak to the rock now. Just speak. But the problem was is Moses was angry at the people. He was frustrated at the culture. They're rebellious. They're not doing it. And so instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock a second time in his frustration. And at that point, because of the goodness of God, God didn't judge him. God, he had another chance to to recognize. God said, speak to the rock. Moses hit it instead. And then there was this delay where he could have repented. He could have said, God, forgive me. I, I, I gave into my anger. I gave into my frustration. Uh, But he hit the rock a second time. And then the water came forward. But God said to Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. And here's why. Because you didn't treat me as holy. There is an engine that we're supposed to live by. It's called the fear of the Lord. There's another engine this world lives by called anger, frustration, wounds. And folks... Jesus has already died. We don't need to live frustrated. We can be a voice of reconciliation. We can be a voice of what God is saying. It doesn't matter how, how dark they are, how, how broken they are. We, and, you, and praise God, we don't have to be positive. Well, let's just try to be positive. Well, it's hard to be positive when people are getting shot all around us, when there's dark things happening. You don't have to be positive. There's bad things happening all over the place. There's dark things. There's demonic things happening. You don't have to be positive about that. Be redemptive. Yeah, that that did happen. Yeah, that is horrible. Yeah, I'm grieving with you. But that's not the whole picture. God loves us. Jesus died for us. And that even that situation can be redeemed. Even that person can be redeemed. We don't have to hit the rock. We don't have to live in frustration in our culture and just kind of on the edge. Oftentimes, we get filled with fear because we see things going badly, especially over our children. My, oh, my. We can get so afraid and just push our kids, push our kids, push our kids because we're afraid and we're just driving them away from God. We can't even see it. Relax. Live in the love of God. Become... We had a speaker this week, he's here today, uh, to our staff, and he, he said, the word abide means to abide in the love of God. It means to be at home, to become at home in the love of God. Whenever you have somebody at your house and you tell them to, to feel like they're at home, what are you saying? Relax. This is a safe place. You don't have to impress us. You don't have to try to be on your best way. Relax. You are home. Let's live in God's love ourselves and then speak the redemption of God to those around us. All right. How do we live? 
How do we live in, in the life of God? How do, we, how do we do that? All right, eat at God's table every day. That was point one. Here's point two on that. Exercise your right to remain silent. It's called pleading the fifth. Matthew 12, 17, here's what it, 37, here's what it says. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So we have a law in our country. You don't have to condemn yourself. You can be guilty, but you don't have to be the one that says you're guilty. Somebody else has to prove it. You could just say, I plead the fifth. I'm, I'm going to stay silent. Did you know that you can plead the fifth in the kingdom of God? Do you know that just because you're wounded, angry, sad, tired, does not mean you have to speak out of it? That you can actually plead the fifth and remain silent? See, when we speak out of the wrong thing, guys, our words activate what's in our heart. So what's the alternative? God, God invites us to bring our stuff to him, to, to bring our wounds. David is the man after God's own heart. My, oh, my, it's all there. Anger, sadness, despair, and he brings it to God. He brings it directly to God. You, we can speak to God about our stuff, or you could find a, a prayer partner that is going to help you get a right perspective, that is going to speak. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed, that we talk to each other in a positive way, but we don't have to go in this world and speak everything that comes to our minds. There's no law that says that. And, 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 and that wound unexpressed does not reproduce death. Here's Asaph's story. Psalm 73, 15 through 17. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Asaph's the worship leader of Israel. He's in charge of David's tent, of the house of prayer and, and worship. He's in charge of this thing. And, and you read all of Psalm 73, he is bitter. He, is, it, he sees the prosperity of the wicked and how hard his life is. Why do I have to have all these trials? And, and my life would be a lot easier if I wasn't following God. I mean, it's all in there. He's processing all of this internally. And he says, but I, I, I exercise my right to remain silent. I didn't speak it out. I came, instead, I came into the sanctuary. That's the, that's the Old Testament way of saying I came into God's presence. I brought my pain, I brought my anger, I brought my self-pity, I brought it into the presence of God, honestly, and I got a new perspective. And then you read the rest of Psalm 73, and from then on, it's like, God, you are amazing. My life's amazing. The nearness of God is my good. It's not my evil, it's my good. Are you kidding me? Everything about it changes in the presence of God. That's exercise your right to remain silent. And then finally, last point. Begin to speak what God is speaking. <laughs> so, extroverts, I'm an extrovert. We gotta rein it in, folks. Just because you have a thought does not mean you need to express it. What a revelation. I don't have to say everything that I'm feeling and thinking. Bring it in, folks. Now, introverts, it's the opposite. You need to speak what God is speaking. 
We need to practice, even if it's hard for us, we need to practice expressing faith. What God is speaking to me is activated when I speak it out. Let me give you a couple illustrations, one, one new and one old. Here's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? God has said something. I will never leave you or forsake you. And Paul says, so we, we make a confession based on what God has spoken. This is what we say. Because God said that, this is what we say out loud. With confidence. I will not be afraid. I will not live in fear. Because you are my helper. What can man do to me? God is with me. God is for me. God loves me. We say this. We say this with our mouth. We remind ourselves, not just in our hearts. We speak it out loud. God is for me! And it's in the context of financial trouble. And, 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 and we're declaring money doesn't run my life. God runs my life. God is my provider. God is going to take care of me. God is going to take care of my family. We learn to say what God is saying. Now you remember the Ezra 5 passage that it says that Haggai and Zerubbabel or Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying, and that's what led to Zechariah or Zerubbabel starting to build again. Let me read to you what Zechariah prophesied. Listen to this. This is Zechariah 4, 6, and 7. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Here's the context. The problem was, is the temple had been destroyed. And when, when they came back to rebuild it, they had to deal with the mountains of rubble, the mountains of what was there from the past. And it was a mountain, and it's just discouraging. Who's going to move all these stones? Who's going to clear all of this stuff? Do you see the picture? We would go forward, but it's our past. The mountain of problems, the mountain of things that were wrong, the bad decisions, the, there's just this mountain of rubble. That, that holds us. And here's what Zechariah says. Okay, listen, it doesn't matter because the, the answer is not with human wisdom or human power anyway. It's by my spirit. So here's what you just, you need to start speaking to that mountain. Grace! Grace! Speak to that mountain! Jesus says you look at that mountain between you and the will of God and you start speaking to it. You tell it to move in Jesus' name by the grace of God. Not by human power, not by my ingenuity, not by my cleverness, but by the grace of God, the generosity of God, the activity of God. Grace, grace. And then he says, Zerubbabel, here's what I say to you. Not only are you going to clear the mountain, 
You're going to put the last stone on the temple. You're not just going to clear what was, what was before. You're going to build what God is building. You're going to put on that capstone. You're going to, how are you going to do it, Zerubbabel? Here's how. Grace, grace, grace. I speak it over us, folks. The grace of God. We will not just survive as this fish on the thing. We're going to flow. We're going to overflow with the Holy Spirit. Okay, would you, would you stand with me, please? So I've got some declarations we're going to do together. These are declarations. We're going to do them out loud. Here is the first. Can, can everybody see this? How about the balcony? Can you guys see this? Half can and half can't. That's fine. Okay. Let's, let's say this out loud together. I will speak life and not death over myself. I will speak life over my family, whether they know God yet or not. I will speak life over my friends and my enemies. I will speak life, not death, over God's church and his life. Did that seem a little self-serving? I just threw that one in there. Sorry about that. All right, here we go. I will exercise my right not to speak and bring all of burdens directly to God and to those who will pray with me. All right, here's how we're going to end. So Isaiah, Isaiah 6, it's a time of distress in the country. King Uzziah has died. His reign was 55 years. And it says that he came into the temple, the earthly temple, in the year that King Uzziah died. No doubt he's there for answers, he's there for strength, he's there for whatever. Anyway, he's in just the regular temple, and all of a sudden he's in the heavenly temple. Heaven opens. He sees God on his throne. He sees angels that are crying, holy, holy, holy. And in the presence of God, the direct encounter with God, here's what Isaiah says. He's probably the most godly person on earth. Here's what he says. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He becomes aware in the presence of God that he has spoken things that he should not have spoken. So one of the seraphim comes he comes to Isaiah and he says, your sin has been atoned for. All of your unclean words, all of your unredemptive words, all of your death words have been atoned for. You are forgiven. You are cleansed of your sin. How many? That's really good news right there. But more, more happens. He takes a coal of fire from the altar and he puts it on Isaiah's lips. Why? So that he won't continue to speak how he's been speaking. So that he'll start speaking with heaven. He'll start agreeing with heaven. He gets his tongue and his lips purified by the fire of God. And then, and then, God says, who's going to go for me? And then Isaiah says the famous words, here am I, send me. Now he's ready to be a thermostat. He's ready to go out. He's been forgiven. He's experienced that burning. And now he's ready to go out.
Would you open your arms, please? I just want to pray for all of us. <laughs> Lord, um, we have just spoken so many things that are wrong. So many things over ourselves, over our children, over our country, over our city, over our church, over the body of Christ in general. We've just spoken a lot of things that were inspired not by heaven. Let's just leave it that way. We spoke out of fear. We spoke out of a wound. We spoke out of offense. We spoke out of um, weariness, tiredness. And so we just want to say before you, God, we own that. We own that. We are a people of unclean lips. We just, we want to own that before you. And Jesus, we're bringing everything we've said that was wrong. We're just bringing it to you. Please, Jesus. Thank you that you died on the cross to wash those, all, all those words of death can be washed away. That I can be cleansed of all of those words. Everything I've spoken that was wrong over my spouse, over my children, it's washed right now. It's washed right now. It's cleansed. Everything we've spoken over Madison about how hard it is and difficult it is and demonic it is. We just, we just take all those words and we bring them to the cross. Wash us, Jesus. Wash us, Jesus, of everything we've said that was wrong. And then, Father, would you take a fire from your altar? Take a coal from your altar and put it on our lips, Jesus. We want to speak life. Oh, my, we want to speak life over ourselves. We want to start speaking life over ourselves. We want to start speaking redemption over ourselves. We want to start speaking that you are excited about us and that you love us and that you're for us and that, and that we are the beloved. Now, Lord, I, I just pray for everybody that's facing a mountain of your past problems, your past sins, your past debt, your past bad choices. And the, the problem, of course, with the mountain is the mountain itself speaks. <laughs> and it says, no, no, I own you. No, you'll never go beyond this. You'll never be able to clear this rubble. I'm speaking to your mountain right now. Grace. 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 <laughs> and then, Lord, we we just want to purpose as a church to, to go for this culture of life. We don't want to be the fish out of water and then just gets kicked in the water once in a while to remind himself, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and yeah, I believe in this stuff. Lord, we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be that woman. We want to be the one that is an overflow. We want to be the thermostats. So, Lord, here we are. I think we have to say it personally and together. Here I am. Send me. And then this amazing thing. Here we are as the body of Christ. Not just this church, but as Greg prayed. Church, if every nation, of every place in the city, your people are gathered all over, Lord, make us, send us as thermostats that change this culture. Lord, make Madison not Arba, but make it Hebron. That's from last week if you weren't here. Make it a city of refuge. We ask of your love. In Jesus' name.
So here's how we're going to end. We're going to turn the lights down, and I'm going to ask fellowship to happen outside these walls. If you need to spend some time making things right with God, if you need to spend some time letting that fire burn a little more, I'm going to encourage you, come up to the altar, stay where you are. The whole church is an altar right now. But please do business with God before you leave here. Because this, yeah, I've said enough. God bless you.